Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Stephen, what rhymes with overly? With overly? Um, totally? Totally, perfect. You can totally rap. Perfect. <laughs> hey, welcome to Politico Tech. It's Thursday, January 11th. I'm Stephen Overly. And no, no, I'm not going to bust out any rhymes on today's show. But walking the show floor at CES, I met Vivek Venugopal. So nice to meet you. From Freestyle Plus, an app that uses exercises inspired by hip-hop and improv to work your brain. Uh, by practicing what we call mental fitness. So what we've done here is uh, created kind of a mental fitness gym that represents all the different aspects of an app that we created called Flowzone. The connection between technology and mental health has captured increased attention in recent years, revealing a relationship between man and machine that, frankly, cuts both ways. There's been research that suggests social media has addictive properties and can negatively affect the self-image and well-being of teens. There are fears about video games encouraging violence and unresolved ethical questions about data privacy and algorithmic bias. It's a growing area of concern that has left many in Washington alarmed and weighing regulation. Meanwhile, technologies that promise to actually diagnose and alleviate mental health challenges have proliferated with many gaining traction during the COVID-19 pandemic that forced many of us into isolation. With this latest explosion in artificial intelligence, it's an area of digital health that's bound to accelerate. Not far from that music mental health startup, I met up with Ellie Q. And how she kind of looks like a Pixar lamb. Um, She's like an embodiment that sort of woos you to interact with her. That's the AI-powered companion for older Americans made by Intuition Robotics. The tabletop robot is designed to stave off loneliness and reminds you to take medication, go for a walk, or call a loved one. At the company's booth, Christopher Leach and Adam Segui told me people really bond with the little thing. People like to project onto LEQ what they feel they need. Some people look at her and say, oh, she's like a daughter to me. They know that she's not a person. It's not meant to replace a person, um, but she's sort of this presence in the home. And these mental health technologies are not just for seniors. Racing around the CES exhibit halls in Las Vegas, I came across technologies for all types of people, from gaming devices for children with ADHD to facial recognition for adults with depression. That's how I wound up having my own face scanned to detect emotions like panic, joy, and boredom by a company called Blue Sky AI. We can't just point a camera on you and say, like, ta-da, you're, you know, you're level seven depressed, right? You, you, you need to use this once or twice a week. CEO Michelle Valstar told me the idea is to monitor your expression multiple times a week and note changes over time. And we have built it for the perinatal depression into a pregnancy tracker app. You do a vlog, um, a video journal of that, and that we analyze. This fraught relationship between technology and mental health is what brought Dr. Arthur Evans to CES this year. Dr. Evans is a longtime clinical and community psychologist who for the past seven years has been the CEO of the American Psychological Association. For the first time, the organization hosted a series of sessions at CES on the potential harms to human development and well-being brought on by technology. Actually, when I was doing my master's, I was majoring in experimental psychology, I was going to do my um, thesis on artificial intelligence. 
That was oh. back in the oh, 80s. Right? Yeah, okay. yeah. So I've always had an interest in technology. On the show today, a leading psychologist's take on how to make tech work better for humans. I think I expected maybe you to be a little bit more of a tech skeptic, which is oh. interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, because uh, the, the American Psychological Association has been t- led a series of panels here, sure. sort of raising some questions about what all of this technology means for, yeah. for we, he, we humans. Why uh, pursue that, uh, yeah. that line of discussion? Sure, sure. Well, you know, you know our, our position is not that technology is inherently good or bad. It's okay. how you use it. And these technologies are uh, coming into our lives. They're having an effect on so many areas of our lives, our cognition, our social interactions, how we parent, how we study, where we work. And what we're seeing, you know, we do a survey, uh, Stress on America survey, and one of the, the stressors that people are now reporting is that there is a large percentage of Americans now who are fearful about the impact that technology is going to have on their on their work and whether or not they will be displaced by this technology. So there are these growing fears about these technologies, how they're going to impact on on, um, on on people's work, but also in terms of how it's impacting people's social lives as well. And you see this with uh, children. So I think that the one of the things that's really important as these technologies emerge is for us to really be paying attention to and collecting the data. One of the things we've talked a lot about is the need for more research funding in these areas. Uh, we don't want to be 10 years from now going, oh, we're seeing all these negative things, now we need to collect data. No, we need to collect the data now so that as we go through the, the implementation of these things, uh, we're able to study them, uh, see what those kinds of effects are, and make adjustments as we go as opposed to being reactive. You mentioned um, the impact of technology on, on children in particular, and there's been a lot of discussion about social media, right? It's potentially harmful effects on, on teens in particular. What can we learn from sort of that discussion as, as AI becomes you know, more ubiquitous? You know, what are the um, considerations that maybe the tech industry should have that we're missing before? Yeah, I love this question because one of the things that we've noted from the work we've done around social media is that there are a lot of harms that we know can happen. There are a lot of benefits. Again, it's a, a balanced picture. But a lot of that work has come in reaction to um, and it's in some ways late, right? right. Uh, and, and so we really have an opportunity with uh, generative AI in particular is to say, look, we've learned some things about how these technologies play out and, and how they can affect people and children and youth. We got to use that now as this is in a nascent stage and really starting to, to grow uh, exponentially. So let's use what we already know. Let's not wait until we see the harms and then start reacting. Do you think that's happening you know, I think it's a mixed bag. I think that, uh, I, you know, I, I testified at Senate hearing uh, a few weeks ago. I was really uh, impressed that Congress is really looking at these issues and trying to get ahead of them as opposed to being uh, purely reactive. One of the reasons we're here at CES is that we believe that a lot of people don't know all of the areas that could benefit uh, that we could benefit from uh, in, in terms of setting policy. And so a lot of the issues that we're scrap, um, struggling with are uh, psychological or behavioral in nature, and there is often a body of knowledge that could help inform policy, could help inform 
uh, parenting practices. And we want to make sure that people know that and that they start connecting the dots. And so uh, that's the piece that we're really trying to emphasize. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, there's a million products on display here at CES, right? I mean, for the, the companies behind them, what should the consideration be when they're they're creating these things, you know, in terms of the impact on human development and human wellness? Sure. So I think that there are a couple of ways. I mean, one of the things that is, for me as a psychologist, very fascinating about this whole area is that the number of areas that it affects, right? So uh, so if you think about any technology, artificial intelligence, social media, um, there are issues around how it's designed and how people use the technology. Uh, if Have you ever walked up to a door and pulled it when you were supposed to push it? Right. Right. Yeah. All of us have had that experience. And so, you know, and I think it's a good metaphor for what happens in technology. So the door does what it was designed to do. It opens and allows people to go through. But from a human standpoint, it doesn't work as well as it should, because whoever designed it didn't think about the end user and giving the cues that we all use to actually use that more effectively. That happens in technology all of the time. And so a big part of technology, and I think a part that a lot of people don't recognize is that there are these human factor issues around how these technologies can be used and how they can be used effectively. So it's not just the design, but it's how is this implemented and has the end user been involved in helping to figure out how this is going to be implemented so that the driver is using the technology in a way in which it was designed and not trying to defeat it. So, And I think there are a lot of examples like that. So that's another area. And then I think there's an area of, uh, of this that has to do with really understanding the impact. So one of the things we know, for example, is that our attention span has decreased over time. Yes. We know that our memory... Guilty. guilty. Is, yes, I, I'm, guilty. I'm, I'd be guilty of that as well. Uh, we know that our, our memories, uh, because we don't, you know, we don't have to remember a lot of facts in the way right. that we use it. I just, you know, I just Google everything at this point. You know, so there are a lot of sort of cognitive things that uh, changes that are happening to us that we ought to know, understand, study, um, and, uh, and to the extent that it is important, uh, to try to address those things. So I think sort of all along the, the line of the development, the implementation, and how these technologies are used, I think there are these human elements that are very important, and we want to get on top of those and, uh, again, try to minimize risk and, and harm. I almost wonder if you think every tech company should have a psychologist oh, on staff. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Actually, most of them do. Um, you know, we on our panels we had uh, psychologists from uh, Google. We've had we had another psychologist from Microsoft. The tech companies, the big ones, they know that their technologies are based on uh, uh, behavioral science. Science, right? Right. You know, when you when you when you see, when you scroll through TikTok. That is all behavioral science. The reason that they are able to be that so addictive is that they're using psychological principles uh, built into the technology. So the big tech companies use psychologists all the time. Uh, we just want them to use them in a way that's, you know, not harmful. That's right? what I was going to yeah. say. Are they using them for, for yeah, the betterment no, of us, no. the consumer, or, or, or right. them the bottom line? Well, right now, and that's why this conversation is so important, uh, right now... I, I'm not going to say that they are not using psychologists to try to, you know, reduce harm because I, I do think some of them are. We're we're having those conversations with some of them, but right now, 
more of those principles are being used in a way that helps their bottom line and in ways that are not necessarily helping uh, advance you know, child development, youth development, and our social and emotional health. You know, you're, you're reminding me of a comment on one of the panels yesterday around sort of the, the fact that AI in particular is rolling out so fast, getting integrated into all these products without us having a full understanding of the consequences of it and, and the effects that it has. It, it seems to me there is kind of a tension in a way, you know, the tech industry is all about moving fast, trial and error, you know, break it and then mm-hmm. fix it, right? And mm-hmm. um, science and, and psychology is a lot more about the research, the study, the data, and then, you know, rolling, rolling things out, I guess, once there's more confidence. Is there a way to merge that divide? Yeah, that's such a great question. Uh, Yes, there is. And there's a field of psychology or area of psychology called applied psychology. And they do just that, right? So you have basic researchers who are really studying these issues and studying these uh, these concerns. Uh, And then there are these people that stand between that research and the real-world application who take that and their skill set is how do you take this research and then apply it to real-world settings. So, you know, that is uh, something that we want at APA to accelerate. We want to accelerate that that, that transition from research to um, real-world application, and I think technology is just an area that's ripe for that. I want to ask um, your opinion on some of the technologies that I've seen at CES, okay. and, and you can t- tell me what you think of them. You know, one is... Um, with AI being integrated into everything, I, I you know, met yesterday an entrepreneur who is using AI to customize the ergonomics of your desk chair, for instance. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's literally mm-hmm. you know smart desk chairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we sort of give up some of these decisions, however small, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and allow AI to optimize them, mm-hmm. uh, I wonder what you you make of that. Is there a concern or a consequence to to sort of deferring to to AI for some of these decisions? Yeah, I think it depends on the area, uh, but I think it is a great question, and I think that's the perfect kind of question that is a human factors question, right? So human fact, we call them human factor engineers, but they're basically psychologists uh, that that look at the machine person uh, interface and interaction, and they try to optimize that. So, like, as an undergraduate, I I worked at the, I mentioned that I worked at the Army Air Medical Research Laboratory, and at the time that I was there, what these psychologists were doing was looking at Army aviators who were, we were just starting to admit women into the, uh, uh, the Army, and so the helicopters had been developed for the average man. And so what they wanted to know is, well, can the average woman uh, safely fly helicopters, right? So that's an empirical question, right? right. So you can do studies to figure that out. And so there's a long history of people working at that interface to look at, are these things ultimately, uh, one, can we optimize how people use these technologies or these you know, machines in that case, but also what are the consequences and long-term effects of that? And I think we have to be more intentional uh, and studying that, uh, not assuming that uh, just because we have this, what we believe is a nicely designed technology, uh, that it actually is having the intended effect. We really need to study that. And so that's one of the things that we've really been trying to emphasize here. You mentioned how you had testified before the Senate before. Um, what's the role of, of regulation to play in, in these questions around you know, human-machine 
engagement and, and the degree to which our technology is built to, to actually advance our well-being, right? And, sure. and not deter, you know, not take away from it. I think we have to have more regulation. Uh, it's a wild west right now. There are things that we know are harmful and are problematic, and we should do that. Uh, let's take the issue of privacy, for example. Privacy is absolutely, a, a very heavily, a psychological phenomenon, right? How what's private to me may be different than you. Uh, most of us, when we check off on those privacy statements. Uh, we don't know where we're signing off on. I mean, and, you know, the tech companies, they give us, you know, five pages. You know, you have to scroll to the end right. and you just check off. No one knows. You know, some someday I expect I'm going to come home and my house will be sold because, you know, I checked off on some box and I didn't realize right. what I was, I was signing off on. Uh, I think all of us have had that experience. And so, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, if we had more standardization, if you knew that when you signed one of those things, that there were standard expectations in those privacy statements, it would eliminate a lot of anxiety that all of us have when we're, when we're dealing with the, those kinds of things. So I do think that, and that would be an example of how regulation and standardization of some of these uh, practices would actually help all of us. It would help the tech companies, but I think it would also help uh, certainly the consumers because we would uh, be in a much better position to be informed about what we were doing. And then I guess my last question, it's maybe a little bit more um, um, esoteric or something, but, it, you know, as AI gets more sophisticated, um, gets more human-like in a lot of ways, um, I wonder where the line is for you sort of between artificial emotional intelligence and human emotional intelligence, because so many of these lines now are getting blurred, mm -hmm. um, but emotional intelligence in some ways still feels uniquely human, but I imagine there's some technology here at CES that can prove me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the way that's going to play out is in some kind of behavior, right? So intelligence, uh, you know, is a construct. There's not a real thing called intelligence. We, we, we see the evidence of that through uh, behavior. And I think the interesting thing to your question is going to be how, do, how does machine intelligence, emotional intelligence, uh, manifests itself, right? And, um, and, and does that proxy for human emotional intelligence have the same impact as human emotional intelligence, right? That's, as we say, an empirical question. We, you know, do you, do you have a sense of what... Well, you know, I, I, think that, that, um, I think that ultimately these things can be helpful and, you know, maybe we'll get to the point where we can have a machine that will mimic that to an extent that uh, people derive the same benefit as they would from a, a person that they were interacting with. I, I don't think that that's far off, I, you know, and I think one of the implications of this, you know, as a psychologist, you know, we're, we're really going to have to rethink our field. You know, I, I, I honestly believe that. I think we're going to have to rethink what is the role of a psychologist because so much of what we can do, I think we're going to get better and better in the techno technological field uh, to the point that a lot of the things that we thought was only the domain of people is going to be done by machines. Right. And then, and then, so then the question is, okay, then what's the other stuff that we can't quite teach machines to do? Or is it that we are now in a position where we're more guiding those machines and helping to... to, to uh, uh, design as opposed to actually delivering service. I don't know. That That's, you know, in the next 10 years, we're going to figure that out. But one thing that is clear, we're absolutely going to have to change what we do as a field. 
Well, Dr. Evans, thanks for being here on Politico Tech. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our managing producer is Annie Reese. Our producer is Afra Abdullah. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. See you back here tomorrow. 